I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. We are going to be talking about Black Panther Wakanda forever. So a lot of spoilers are going to be incoming. If you haven't seen the movie yet, uh, you might want to just skip this one. Yeah. Yeah. Skip this one and uh, come back to it after you've seen the movie. Yeah. Go see the movie. Come back to us when you're done. Uh, Final warning. Final Final warning. warning. Final warning. Final warning. Three, two, one. Shuri is the new Black Panther. There's your spoilers. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, who didn't see that coming, though? Because, I mean. She's been Black Panther in the comics before. Yeah. She's in the center of the movie poster. Which I wish they did not release that prior to the movie coming out. Like that could be like the Blu-ray cover, and because the, the 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 teaser poster they released before that just had the Black Panther mask on it, I think that was enough. You didn't really need the 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 the, the floating heads as people tend to call them on these kind of posters, but I get it. You want to have the stars of your movie on the poster. It's probably in their contract. Yeah, I mean, some people might have that in the contract, but. This movie had to deal with the sudden passing of its star. I mean, there's no way to get around that. This was not the movie that we were intended to have. This movie is a rewritten movie. And everyone admits it. Yep. Ryan Coogler has admitted that his idea for this film was completely different than what he had planned. And Chad, although it it was intended to have Namor in it. So that that part has carried over. So. When we had the earthquake under the sea line. In Endgame, that really was the hint that Namor was coming, that every single fan had figured out. I I mean, pretty much, I I think that's what what we're supposed to take from that, because Ryan Coogler has said that he's wanted to bring Namor in, that that was his plan. Um, And in the comics... Namor and Wakanda are very closely linked. I mean, they've they've done this storyline a lot in the comics. And uh, Namor's Namor's rights has kind of been up in the air for a while because he's a mutant, so obviously he'd be tied to the X-Men. He's also tied to the Fantastic Four in that love triangle between him, Invisible Woman, and Mr. Uh, Mr. Fantastic. But also, he is also the first Marvel character. 
So he is his own solo. He was the in the first issue of Marvel Comics back in the 40s. He predates Captain America. But also there's the problem of DC has now had a big hit with Aquaman, which nobody saw coming. Let's just point that out. I mean, mm-hmm. Aquaman has been a joke for ages, whereas Namor on the Marvel side, like, you bring up Namor to a Marvel fan, like an actual comics fan, and they're like, yeah, he's kind of dope. We we like him. Whereas he was, you, know, he, you bring Nam- up Aquaman to a DC fan, and, and before Jason Momoa, Aquaman was kind of a joke to a lot of DC fans. The guy that talks to fish. Yeah, so that was not the feeling in Marvel fandom. Like, Namor has not really been a joke to he Marvel was, fans. He was the first anti-hero. Yeah. Literally. He I mean, he, his whole thing was, I am going to go against the surface world to protect my underwater kingdom of Atlantis. And that was another change in this movie because of that that comparison because they're using Atlantis in the Aquaman movies. It it was a bit weird for them to try to bring Namor in any earlier because you know the rights weren't settled. You know, do we have the rights to mutants or not? Do we have the rights to Fantastic Four or not? Also and Universal also, also Universal had some rights to a Namor movie. Yeah, and again that, was that whole the whole thing with while. Yeah, same thing with Hulk. You know, now we're, I mean, there's been talks of that being settled. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah. It might be a similar situation like Hulk where Marvel can use the Hulk character, but a solo Hulk movie would have to go to Universal. It might be the simple situation with that where a Namor, that way can use the Namor character, but a Namor solo movie might not be on the table. Yeah. The so you know that and trying to be like well you know that and how do we get around the like oh this is just Aquaman you know they're trying to bounce off of Aquaman and uh, and let's be real Momoa's Aquaman is just Namor yeah the the DC films kind of just were like hey what if we what if we made dc's aquaman marvel's namor you know (laughs) without the wing feet (laughs) yeah um it's a bit it's a bit kind of interesting to see what they've done with it because in in this one they've very much tied it to this more Yucatan Peninsula Mayan ancestry. Palo Khan. Yeah. Which is a it's an interesting way to go. Uh because now it's very much tied the fate of or the history of Namor's people and their possession of vibranium to colonialization in a similar way that Wakanda has it over on the African continent. Yeah. I mean, Wakanda has that 
that that you know they were the only African nation not colonized by the white man because they had the protection of the vibranium and a panther god, but that's a different thing there. But uh, you know. But in a similar way, though, Namor's people had the protection of their god and a similar plant um, to the heart-shaped herb that gives the Black Panther his powers. They had a similar plant that gave them them similar powers. Similar powers that also comes from vibranium soil. Um, And it was given to them by their god. Their serpent Um, god. Puku Klan. <laughs> well, yeah, they they uh, I, I believe in the movie and and we've only seen the movie once each. So if we get anything <laughs> wrong, please forgive us, because that's just us having only seen the movie once. And then recording and uh, this. my memory's a bit. I, I saw the movie once on opening day and we're recording this about a week after. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just saw the movie yesterday and um, I'm still on medication after a car crash. So my, my brain is also kind of muddled. Um, but the uh, but I believe that they gave their God a different name and that that Kukuklan is uh, Namor's uh, name that 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 they gave him. But I could be wrong on that. And please forgive me if I am. And uh, I do like the, the new origin of his name. Namor. The child with no love. No amor. Namor. Yeah. Sin Although Namor. I wish. I wish that they had stuck to one pronunciation of the name because they seem to flip-flop between Namor yeah. and Namor throughout the entire movie. Well, uh, honestly, the, the, that is kind of funny because the every single character in the film pronounces his name slightly differently depending on what accent they're using. So, yeah. So the actor who, who plays the character... Um, uh, Tina Cuerta uh, is a uh, this is I believe his his first big uh, American film um, he's had a lot of had a lot of success in Mexico um, and has been in um, the TV show Narcos Mexico uh, but I think that this is his like big American debut, um, especially in like a like a big film. He always pronounces it Namor because it's sin amor with without love. So he he really does the amor part, uh, but ev- the Wakandans because of their accent have a slightly different way of pronouncing it. And then the American characters that we see are the ones that are supposed to be American. Uh, looking at you there, Martin. Uh, but uh, the, he, tries. Uh, he tries, he tries, but the, uh, but like, you know, uh, the ones that are that are more American tend to to go with Namor, which I think is just what the American Marvel fans have always called him. 
I'm just cool with the idea that we have like a Latino superhero, the Latino guy over here. You know, we have another Latino superhero and I'm all for it. The interesting thing is, is that we've got to and I'm just going to say this because, you know, I'm a linguist and this is my bit of nerdery here, but we've got two fictional societies. Here with Wakanda and now we've got Talokan. You would expect that they would have given them fictional languages. Except they don't. The Wakandans speak Kosa. Um, which is just because. I, I think they were originally going to create a conlang for them. And then when they needed something in um, Civil War, when they were introducing the characters, uh, the actor who played King T'Chaka, they needed him to say something real quick. And he spoke Kosa. And so he just said something in that and they were just like well that's just the language of wakanda now they did give uh, the wakandans their own alphabet though which is not um cosa it's actually uh their alphabet translates directly into english it's just an english cipher uh much like uh Oribesh in uh star wars so if you look at all of the words that are used, um, even even in this uh, film, when you see they have the the picture of T'Challa at the funeral and she looks up and there's the mural and they have the writing and everything. It just translates to like the king is with the, the ancestors or something like that. But it's just it reads in English. Um. So it's not actually like the the Wakandan uh, script is just English, which is weird to me. Um, but in um, Talokan, they speak a Mayan dialect. And it, it's actually uh, Mayan. Um, and a dialect that is still spoken today by some people that that are still living in parts of mexico they got uh linguists and and people who are you know in the in that community to to come and help and make sure that it was all authentic and there are stories now from people who are talking about like how uh, happy their grandparents are and stuff that there are now people in a film, you know, speaking the the language that they're, you know, from their childhood and stuff because it's those are still minority language communities, you know, and uh, they are endangered in a lot of places, um, and so it's really cool to have them represented in such a large way um so 
I, I don't have personally any, uh, any, none of my training was in any of those language groups. Um, so I hope they did them correctly. I'm hearing, uh, that they did. Um, that's, that's what I'm, I'm seeing that, that apparently that it, it has been translated correctly and, and, um, at least linguistically portrayed correctly. I won't talk to like culturally or anything, um, cause that's not my, my field, but, uh, apparently they got the linguistics right, <laughs> which, uh, sounds, sounds kind of cool. So that's good for them if they did. One thing that I loved is that each language has their own distinct subtitles. It's in its own font. It's in its own color, especially when characters switch up the language they're speaking. Like there are, you know, there's characters who are speaking regular Spanish and they switch to the Mayan dialect or switching to Wakandan or Wakandan to the Mayan dialect. And it's a nice little visual cue for people who may not understand the language or understand that these are characters speaking different languages to say these are they are now switching from one language to another. Yeah, and there's also, you know, part of it is in Haiti. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So there's Haitian French and um, some Haitian Creole in there as well. Um, as as well as in the UN scene, there's regular French. Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a, a linguistic mix in the in the film, and none of it. To I'm trying to flip through. I don't think any of it is constructed for the film. Except for maybe I think um, some of the names, you know, uh, are constructs, you know. Um, but as far as the the actual dialogue, I don't think they've actually constructed a language like you would find um, in a lot of media that's fascinating to me because it's not typical for a film of this type to use entirely real world stuff at this point you would usually find them uh kind of constructing something mm-hmm. um and marvel has uh constructed languages for for their films before Mostly yeah. alien languages. But. Yeah, I mean alien languages and stuff, but it's it's kind of interesting that they've that they've used entirely real world languages for these uh, fictional societies because they are tied to real world events. So um, it wouldn't make sense to have you know an alien race come down and speak you know be like oh well you know our native language is actually you know pick something from earth but it does make sense 
with what we know of the the history of Wakanda for them to speak any number of African languages from the area. It does make sense for the people of Telekan to speak this Mayan dialect because of their history and where they came from. Of course, that that language would be preserved um, through them. So it's always interesting when you're using a real world language to represent a fictional group. But if the the story and the history supports it, then, yeah, you know, it it makes more sense. So let's talk about the controversy of this movie before this movie was ever filmed. We mentioned at the start. The rather than recasting T'Challa, they decided to kill him off. He dies off screen of a mysterious disease. My personal opinion is that no one actor is ever bigger than the character they play. How many characters have we? How many actors have played Batman? How many actors have played Superman, Spider-Man, James Bond, Doctor Who? And, you know, a new actor. Even Marvel themselves are not above this. Terrence Howard, Edward Norton. Uh, we're on our third Cassie Cage in this upcoming Ant-Man movie. You would think, oh, it's because he died. Well, William Hurt died, and they've recast Thunderbolt Ross with Harrison Ford. So, to me... And, you know, T'Challa is such a character that has touched so many people through this movie, uh, through these Marvel movies, that to end the character like that, I feel is a disservice to the character. You could have casted someone else to play T'Challa, have this character go on and continue to live in this in this world. I have no problems if, if I mean, I get that they wanted to uh, show respect to Chadwick Boseman. He was their friend. He was their brother. I get it. And the story they tell in the movie of Shuri is amazing. But I would have just recasted. That's my personal opinion. If that if. If you, the listener, have a different opinion, fine. But I have nothing against the story of Shuri that they had in this movie. I thought it was really good. But to me, losing the character of T'Challa, it's 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 a bad move, my opinion. Yeah, I I am going to agree. And what... I'm going to say is that I'm going to talk about the uh, the opinion of the the man who started the recast T'Challa hashtag and petition, uh, which has, in his words, been hijacked. His idea um he runs a youtube channel called e-man's movie reviews so shout out to him 
And according to him, his thing was he was not trying to, you know, bully Marvel or anything. You know, this wasn't a like release the Snyder Cut kind of thing. What he was saying was that T'Challa was an important role to the black community. And he did not want to see the character of T'Challa die on screen, or in this case, off screen. Um, He wanted to see that character continue in some way. And according to an interview I watched with him, he did not particularly care how Marvel chose to continue the character. He didn't care if it was like a multiverse variant or just straight up recasting the character and being like, no, this is the same character. He just looks different now, which is also fine. Um, or any other of, you know, comic booky kind of ways. Cause you know, let's face it. Comic books are weird. I mean, um, from Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle, Don Cheadle just shows up, say, Hey, I'm here now. And we move on. Yeah. And everybody's just like, Oh yeah, you're the exact same dude. And we're not going to comment on it. Um, and that's, everybody just rolls with it. That's fine. We're used to that. Um, and he also didn't wasn't pushing for an immediate recast. And he also said that he did not care if other people were the Black Panther. Like he was fine with, as in this movie, Shuri being the Black Panther. Shuri is Black Panther in the comics as well. He was like, you know, T'Challa and Shuri being the Black Panther at the same time. That's cool. And that I'm also cool happened. That also happened in the comics. They were both yeah. the Black Panther at the same time. But, you know, Black Panther is different from being T'Challa. T'Challa is not the only Black Panther. That's that's cool. But he was talking about the importance of the character of T'Challa, a, a strong black man of royalty who is a king, who is kind, who is a symbol of what he found to be a good symbol of black masculinity for young black men. That was what he thought was important. And he thought that please keep this character alive so that young black men and other people who needed a good symbol would have that, that character as a a symbol and someone to look to Um, a good story. And that that was bigger than Chadwick Boseman. You know, please don't let the death of Chadwick Boseman be the death of that character. Much like you just said. Mm-hmm. And he did not care if they, you know, took four or five years to recast it. Or brought it in in a different movie. Or brought it in from a different universe. Or, you know, whatever. We're dealing with the multiverse in this part of Marvel. It can happen. Yeah. Um, But... However, Marvel chose to do that, just keep that character alive so that people would have that to look to. That was his point. This character is too important to be killed off, basically. I agree. Um, and and for what it's worth, I do too. Um, and I, a lot of people who knew him say they think that Chadwick Boseman would have been 
the of the same opinion. Um, he wasn't precious about those those things. He was like, I'm an actor doing a job. I want people to see character rather than me. Um, and so while while mourning the person that Chadwick Boseman was is appropriate, perhaps the way that they have gone about the the grieving of the character is a bit um, questionable. Although I am willing to give Marvel the space to see what they're going to do with it. I mean, when Heath Ledger passed, there was a huge movement to retire the character of the Joker, despite he was never the first actor to play the Joker, and obviously he was not the last. This is not the same situation. But that seems to be the big thing people are comparing it to. Heath Ledger... He was fine. He was, you know, the Dark Knight movie's fine. He was fine. He was fine. But he wasn't the first Joker. He's obviously not the last Joker. The Joker is bigger than Heath Ledger. To me, the character of T'Challa is bigger than the man Chadwick Boseman, even though he did a great job playing that role. Yeah, the theme of this movie is grief and how one handles grief. The core theme of this movie, the core core story of this movie is Shuri coming to terms with her grief, the loss of her brother. At the very beginning of this movie, we see Shuri in her lab frantically trying to recreate the heart-shaped herb because she believes it will save T'Challa's life. And it's that thing that she holds in her for the entire movie. She believes that if she was good enough, She could have saved him. And whether she is correct in that or not, that is what she believes. And she is almost in a state of denial for the entire rest of the movie. Is that, you know, Queen Ramunda has her way of grieving. She she goes through the traditional Wakandan grievance process. And then she mourns the loss of her son. And then she burns the clothes she wore on the day of the funeral in the in the Wakandan tradition. She asked Shuri to do the same and she can't. She doesn't want to think about that day because it hurts too much. This is a person who is denying themselves grief because it hurts too much. And that is a powerful story right there. Yeah, and also the the story of how important ritual is in the grieving in the grieving process i mean yeah not only you know rituals tradition and the care the character shuri is very much anti-tradition they believe in gods and supernatural beings and she believes in science well, it's it's not even it's not even that. I mean, you you can read it that way, I think, but you know, there is a there is a point when they're they're sitting there going through the the ritual and um Ramonda tells Shuri about you know, I would I would come out here and I would hear your 
brother and she says you know well it's just a something conjured by your brain and you know it's not like his spirit and whatever and Ramonda kind of comes back with well you know what is being conjured by your brain when you think of which is like it goes back to the first movie when when they're they're healing Ross and Ross goes like you know this stuff doesn't heal by magic and sure he says it's not magic it's technology you know which is basically the same thing Ramonda is saying there like it's not you know it's not magic it's your it's your brain but it can it can feel magical sometimes i mean you both know? you both you and i have know what's what it's like to lose loved ones and you go through that grieving process and sometimes your brain will make you think of certain things maybe something falls or something gets turned on and as a part of the grieving process you think okay that my loved one is still with me in spirit in some capacity even though you know they're not but it's part of that grieving process that that just helps you helps you accept that they're gone and Sherry kind of doesn't do that like she knows her brother is gone but she doesn't almost like she doesn't accept it not deny oh my brother's alive it's like denying the uh, in denying the traditions of wakanda she is denying part of herself i guess i'm not i'm not sure how my I'm not sure how that's working in my brain here. Maybe it's well, it's a thing of so many, so many cultures and most, most cultures have for the longest time had these rituals around grieving the, the death of loved ones. And most of them tend to uh, be uh, around the the span of a year. There is a really good book um, by Caitlin Doty, uh, who runs the the series Ask a Mortician, but she uh wrote a book called from here to eternity which talks about um death and funeral and grieving practices from around the world um and most of them do deal with that kind of initial year of grief and seeing it portrayed on screen like this was really interesting to me um and we talked about a little bit about it um when we talked about coco mm. you know the the idea of having the the tradition you know the dia de los muertos tradition 
um, of honoring, you know, the the dead on this cyclical basis. Um, not that that's the only celebration like that around the world, but this idea of honoring grief and knowing grief and the society that that I'm from, you know, like kind of my tradition doesn't really do that anymore. Um, the kind of um, American English, you know, white side of it <laughs> doesn't really do that anymore. And we haven't since post-Victorian. It kind of fell out of fashion. Uh, and I think that that has been a, a big loss in in the community uh, that we don't really have those kind of grieving processes anymore. And most people who the American workforce doesn't even allow for that. You know, you if you are allowed X number of days to grieve and then get back to work or you lose your job. And some days, it's some in a lot of jobs, it's literally you. You're lucky, you know. You get the day of the funeral off, maybe, and then like the next day, you're back at work, depending on what job you have. I I recently watched a TikTok from somebody who talked about the fact that they weren't even allowed to the time off from their their job to go to a relative's funeral because the the job didn't deem the relative like a close enough relation it was like their grandmother or something so you know the the idea of mourning and the community knowing that you are in mourning and understanding your grief i think is very important and i i like seeing it portrayed in film because i think it's important for us to understand that especially in a time right now where so many people have gone through these losses and that also works and granted it was not intended to be that way but the post blip world kind of reflects that yeah, it it's odd that the that the Marvel universe kind of had this instance of mass death, although it was reversed, you know, by this by this point in the story. Um the people who were left behind still have that trauma. You know, they had 5 years of thinking that everyone was gone and that they were never coming back so even though in the story that they were eventually returned that doesn't discount that there are five years of memories where you had mourning even in the marvel universe there's still that moment of how do we move forward even now we have our loved ones back yeah. How do how do we go on after five years of mourning and the person I just mourned for five years is now back in my life? 
I mean, this is an interesting thing because the people that that survived, you know, Thanos in that five years in Wakanda would have already had the experience of mourning T'Challa. Yeah. And this is a second more permanent mourning of T'Challa. We don't know if Ramunda got blipped or not. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, it's implied that Shuri did. Because she was one of the faces shown in the... The, the people that got blipped, I believe. But Ramunda, we don't know about Queen Ramunda. So she may have had five years without T'Challa. And but then, at least 50% of Wakanda would have had that experience. Yeah. Depending on who exactly, you know, is is up for debate, but you Okoye. know, okay, let we know Okoye survived the blip, right? Great, we, yeah. we can go with that. She, so she had five years to mourn her king, and now her king is back, and then he dies again. It's so tragic on so many levels if you consider it from the perspective of internally in in the MCU. Um, and we have this, this moment of, you know, the, the funeral and, and then we go through seeing them and you understand, I mean, shout out to Angela Bassett, who just gives like the greatest performance. There are so many people saying that she deserves a best supporting actor nomination. I agree. Even if she doesn't win, she should be nominated for the performance she pulls off in this film. I mean, it's an MCU film, so you know it won't happen, but good grief. This this woman just gives it her all throughout this entire film. Um, Speaking of acting roles, I, going into this movie, I was hoping, like, I, I'm going to admit this, I did not have faith in Letitia Wright to carry this film. Now, say what you will about Letitia Wright's personal views, and we could have an entire discussion about that. But I let that go for this movie. I was going to come in at her as an actor. I did not think she had the chops to carry this movie. I was wrong. Boy, does she carry this movie. Is she, and maybe that's Ryan Coogler's writing and direction. But she did a damn good job in the movie. I mean, I'll agree with that. I was kind of feeling the same way that that you were, that I I didn't quite know how that was going to to go. I think a lot of people didn't. I think that's why there was a large resurrect Killmonger movement alongside the recast T'Challa movement. Because they didn't think Letitia Wright could carry the movie, and they knew Michael B. Jordan could. I mean, honestly, if anything, I was kind of on the recast Shuri movement on that, where I was like, I like Shuri as a character. I'm just not sure if Letitia Wright is the right person to play. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, I will, I will say that. I I probably should have have known it because 
she did that uh, that Black Mirror episode. Mm. Um, and I I had kind of forgotten about that honestly. Uh, and I shouldn't I shouldn't have because that that Black Mirror episode that she was in she was so good in that and by the end of it i was like yeah this this girl is is good um and i had kind of forgotten that that it was her so um long as she keeps her nose clean she can go far yeah um but the the performance was good. I'll I'll give it that. Um, in fact, I really did. Like, like, let's just get it out of the way. I liked the movie. Um, it was a bit long, and I thought that there were some of the side scenes that could have maybe been edited. This movie's three hours long. Yeah, which might be a little too long. There were there were some of the side things that that maybe could have gotten and i'm it, i'm just gonna say it i'm just gonna say it well i did like the a couple of the particular scenes because of what they added as far as political commentary i really do think you could have mostly dropped the entire cia plot we did not need agent ross in this movie i'm i'm not saying that agent ross couldn't have been in this movie I'm not sure we needed um, Val. Val. This is just to set up Thunderbolts. Let's be real. This is to set up Thunderbolts, Val, because now Val is the head of the CIA. And apparently it's Agent I mean, she could have had a cameo. I mean, I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and I'm going to be glad to see her going forward. I loved her in Falcon and Winter Soldier, you know, all that kind of stuff. But... They could have had a cameo with her and we would have been like, ah, you know, and then moved on. But that whole like the whole bit of of them like talking over their marriage and her in his kitchen. And st- I was just like, do we really need this? Why is why is this in the movie? It feels like this was one of those MCU edicts that we need this scene to set up another movie the the bit where they're rescuing Ross from the the car should have maybe been the post credits yeah yeah but I we, I don't know I, I mean I like Ross being in the in the movie because it did set up one important thing for his character which that he was willing to risk his career for Wakanda well as he said mm-hmm. Shuri saved his life he owes her but the thing is, is that there is a difference between being like, hey, I'm on your side and being like, no, I am really on your side. Like, I am your ally in this. I am I'm willing to put it on the line. And Martin Freeman really, really puts that good performance in. American accent. You can flip flop on that. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the. Um... It's just weird that Bobby got both Sherlock and Watson and they both have to put on American accents in this universe. Yeah. 
it's it's fine to cast American accent, actors to play Americans. I'm okay with that. I don't know we how can, I feel. I don't know how I feel knowing that Elaine Baines married Bilbo Baggins. Do y'all know we have American actors? Like we have them. Some of them are good. You can cast you can cast Americans. Um the uh no, the uh but I I would have I would have honestly just taken out most of that plot. Although I will say I did like the commentary of the one moment where he mentions, you know, imagine if we were the only country with access to vibranium. And Val says, oh, I, I dream of that. I dream of what we would do with all of like, the vibranium, uh, yeah. all of the vibranium with that, which is such a good i mean thank you ryan coogler for that and 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 the moment when they mention that america is going to attack wakanda and their goal is destabilization which they did in the first movie i mean that was what killmonger did Mm -hmm. um and ross says it that he was trained for that, that that's what the CIA trained him for, which is a direct uh, political commentary on, you know, I mean, that's what that's what the CIA has been known to do. Um, so, and, you know, again, that that overarching theme, uh, another uh, another part of that movie is the plot of. Well, they know Wakanda has vibranium. And now the rest of the world wants that vibranium. Good, good, good job, T'Challa. Good, good job by uh, telling the entire world you have vibranium, most precious metal in, in the world. Because <laughs> we have the, the the French mercenaries going after one of uh, to one of Wakanda's embassies with with a Wakandan de- uh, vibranium deposit. Another group of people are drilling for vibranium, which is the whole reason Namor and his and his tribe are going after the land dwellers because it, they're now invading their land just to get this metal. Well, I mean, I'm I'm gonna kind of give a shout out to to Ryan Coogler here for his use of Haiti and France in here. Um, and it was kind of interesting that France is the one to attack Wakanda there in in the attempt to gain the vibranium at the start uh, before the Dora just <laughs> ripped them apart, which is kind of awesome. Um, but the at the end of the movie, you know, in the, the mid credit sequence, we do see, you know, tiny, young uh, Prince T'Challa the second there. Um, but he says that his Haitian name is Toussaint, uh, which is the, the name of the leader of the Haitian Revolution. And that was such a big moment in 
an enslaved people uprising and gaining their independence. Um, so it was a huge moment and him being named after that and also France being an aggressor because after Haiti gained its independence, it was made to pay reparations to France for the crime of gaining its independence, <laughs> um, which has kind of led to some of the problems that continue in Haiti to this day. Uh, the fact that they had to pay all that debt to France for the loss of their revenue, France's loss of revenue. Um, so, yeah, Kugler uh, really knows his history. I'm just going to point that out. And it was fascinating to watch it be a plot point in the in the movie, even kind of a subtle one. Um, so I've, I found that really interesting that that's where when um, Nakia is left to go do her kind of outreach once again and she chooses to to bring up her child somewhere you know that that's where she and T'Challa have have chosen you know so, um, so this child, T'Challa Jr., I guess, looks to be about six-ish. So, well, they it, say in the film that she's been gone for about six years. So that would imply that Nakia didn't get blipped. Yeah. Um. So this, uh, we only get one Thanos reference in this movie, and I'm going to take it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, they do say that Ramonda met the child. I have a feeling that when that happened, that that's probably when, when that meeting occurred. The, the meeting earlier in the movie? Well, someone would have to stay with the child while she went on her mission. What? Well, no, no, no. I, it, well, I mean that too, but I I have a a feeling that um Ramondo would have sent a bunch of Dora to be like you will be at this funeral if I have to drag you there in chains. You know? Or but I think if Ramondo knew about the child already, and knew about T'Challa's wish to not reveal his son to the world. Because Nakia says that T'Challa had prepared her and her son for his death. And that they had both decided that it would not be appropriate for him to be at the funeral. And that that's why they didn't show. So I don't think that Ramonda first met the child while Nakia was going to save Shuri. 
You thought it happened maybe during I the blip? I think it happened during the, which is why I, I probably don't think that Ramonda was gone. Mm. I think that Ramonda survived Thanos. I think that she was in charge of Wakanda during that time. I think that, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. I, I think that that's when Nakia came back and was like, you know, hey, I'm pregnant. And they were like, okay, let's maybe not tell anybody just yet and figure out what's going on. And the world's in turmoil right now. You know, mm. let's see how this is going to, you know. Mm. Um, So I'm I'm thinking maybe maybe that's that's what went on possible and and that ramonda knew knew about it the whole time um and then when everybody showed up again uh ramonda was like yeah there's gonna be somebody you're gonna need to meet (laughs) (laughs) um and so that that when when t'challa found out that he was dying he probably was like okay we are going to and that maybe that's how he even ended up with the name T'Challa. I think he probably wouldn't have ended up the the kid probably wouldn't have ended up with the name T'Challa if his father had been present for his birth. Mm. So I think being born while everybody was gone is probably they were like, we will name you Prince T'Challa after your father, who is not here anymore. Oh, now he's back you know i i think that i think that that's that's probably how that went went down i liked the character arc for ramonda in this because she had to deal with you know her husband died back in civil war then of course now she's had to deal with the death of her son possibly twice, depending on whether or not she was still, you know, there after Thanos. Mm-hmm. Now she's got to deal with this threat of Namor showing up. And she's got to deal with preparing Shuri, possibly for the throne, possibly not. We don't know. And she's got to deal with. Uh, a teenager <laughs> well i mean a teenager you know um but she's got to deal with now wakanda's first threat of another nation that has access to vibranium which they did not ever think possible yes that line you know vibranium is only in wakanda and then sure says well it was a big rock it could have broken off and landed at different parts of the world. And since, you know, and they bring it up in the film, since most of the earth is covered in water, you know, the the fact that it could have just broken up in the atmosphere and one chunk of it landing in water isn't really that crazy of an idea. Um, the The question becomes, though, why didn't Wakanda think of this before? Like, it, I mean, it, it was kind of addressed in the first film that Wakanda does have its hubris. That T'Challa calls out the ancestors for. Yeah, that that is true. I mean, they do have the the story of 
the gods have blessed them specifically with vibranium you know the the mound keeps them safe and you know um so yeah i mean maybe they just never thought to look for it anywhere else but and also there's no technology that can detect vibranium it cannot it cannot be detected by any metal detectors until now thanks riri yeah i mean let's let's talk about riri because this is her official entry into the mcu before she gets her own tv show yep riri student at mit i wonder if there's another couple of students that are going to mit (laughs) you know that they might be able to show up in this show if sony will let them yeah well, and there has already been one other Wakandan we know of that had studied at MIT because they mentioned it in the first movie. Killmonger was a student at MIT because it is mentioned by Ross in his breakdown of uh, Killmonger as he's explaining uh, his backstory. Um, also, Tony Stark. Well, yeah, Tony Stark is known to have gone to MIT, but but as far as as Wakandans uh, that that we know, um, we've already had one Black Panther uh, person uh, go to to MIT uh, because we know uh, from the first movie Killmonger uh, being there. So. I mentioned Tony Stark because this might get revealed in the show, but in the comics, MIT has a fully a full Iron Man suit on display donated by Tony Stark that in the comics, Riri Williams uh, reverse engineered to make her armor. I wonder yeah. if that's going to be a plot point in the show. Yeah, we don't actually know in the movie why Riri built her initial Ironheart armor. We don't actually even get her her name Ironheart in this movie. It's on the toy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in it's on the toy line, but we we don't actually get them using her name in the in the film. I just love that line of the one fed. Oh shit, she's got an Iron Man suit. Yeah, you know Shuri spots it up in the rafters and asks if it can fly, and Riri proudly says that there's even an entire YouTube channel dedicated to spottings of her. Riri Williams built this in a garage with a pile of scraps. Yeah, it seems that Iron Man suits are kind of easy to put together with random scraps you find laying around, because... <laughs> Seems that smart people can just do that crap, huh? I mean, we've got Riri, we've got Stark, we've got Killmonger, Genius, Shuri, Peter Parker. But also there's the 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 parallels between Riri and Shuri. Both young, both lost loved ones very early in their life. You know, Riri, you know, how did you how did Riri learn how to do all this mechanical stuff? She said she she learned it from her father. Her, that garage that they're in was their father's was her father's garage. They built that car together. Likewise, Shuri says she learned it from her brother. Now I don't know if 
T'Challa's a mechanical genius or anything, but it was a nice parallel of these two having similar paths. Both young geniuses, both inspired by loved ones that they had lost. Also, there is that one line in the movie that made me laugh really hard when they're they're trapped in the cave and they they want uh, Shuri to change outfits and Riri's like, "Do not do that. That is how you get in trouble." And she starts naming off movies where that is a bad idea, and every single one of them is owned by Disney. I, I was just sitting there thinking, like, man, that's that's you own way too much stuff when the the character in your movie can just be like this is too much of a pop culture trope and name off just like a whole lot of movies and they're all owned by the same company yeah. but, but riri actually i mean again i actually like riri williams and she worked as a nice you know parallel to shuri and the two characters work very well together yeah, and and also the two of them and Okoye, you know, <laughs> together. It's like the big sister and the two annoying little sisters. Yeah, I mean they they did have a very kind of sisterly um thing going on, but also I mean Shuri even calls Okoye's sister. Well, yeah, and that that action sequence is a good. One and a nice parallel to the Korea scene in the first movie where you get the the chase through the city and the multiple vehicles uh, as they go through. You know, you can see what each of them brings to the fight and to the team and that they're each capable in their own way. Uh, So I did like that. And you do understand for Okoye's journey, at least, how unfair it is what happens to her uh, when she gets back, because it is, Shuri does go along willingly to to save Riri's life, and the, while you also understand Ramonda's feelings on the matter she just lost her son and now her daughter is missing she's well and i thought maybe it was a bit rash to fire okoye over it well she's still got beef with okoye from the first movie which she does bring up she's like hey when killmonger showed up and you ended up backing him instead of my son uh you know Remember yeah. that? Remember how you did that? Where where Killmonger showed up and took the throne and you and all the Dora Milaje were kind of like just cool with that instead of being like, nah. Remember that? Yeah, you're fired. Uh- <laughs> it was almost like she was waiting for her to make a mistake. That, like, I've been wanting to fire you for six years. Yeah. And, and uh, but I like that, that they brought up like, no, she... She also, uh, you know, took up arms against her own husband. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, really? Where, where's he now? Yeah, you want to go join him? All right, no, you're, you're fired. Speaking of 
Guess who doesn't show up in this movie? <laughs> well, I mean, his He's ass is busy. in jail. I mean, he could have made a cameo. But, you know, he's kind of busy making other movies right now. Yeah. But I do like that that line, oh, yeah, her husband. She can go see her husband anytime in the jail. I can't see my son. Yeah, that that is that is a a rather pointed uh, thing. I I feel bad for Okoye, but also she does get her own superhero suit. Which she doesn't want it for her. I, I like that she's kind of against the whole superhero outfit. Well, she's right. It is absolutely hideous. <laughs> I do not like the design. Of the Midnight Angel? Yeah. Also, do not like the name. Uh, I don't know if that's from the comics or not. It sounds like something Stanley would have come up with. She gets to, you know, break off and, and uh, you know, get her superhero suit. And, you know, form form the Midnight Angels, you know. And she gets to take Annika with her, who I is... Do, I do like Annika, because she, like, oh, you know, Shiri gave me a new weapon. And then you have Akoya always about the tradition, you know, we have the Dora Milaje, we fight with the spear, we don't fight with, with whatever that is. Give it back. <laughs> but, I mean, okay. Uh, Annika and Ayo... Who are now um, a couple uh, Disney gays? Okay, Io. I mean, it's good. It's good that she came back. You know, we saw her in Civil War. We saw her in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, it's 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 good. It's good. I'm glad that they they brought her back for this movie. Well, yes. I mean, I like her, but and there were uh, this movie is not playing in China because Disney refuses to cut that scene. That you mean that like point four seconds at the end where it's like, oh thank you honey or whatever. Yeah. I mean good, I guess, but can can we stop having Disney gays? I mean, as far as the movies go, the most gay representation we've had in the movies, 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 movies now. I'm not going to talk about the series. Has been in Eternals. You know, because we actually do get a couple who have a child. They are in a committed relationship and we do actually see them at home being domestic and, you know, for more than one scene and, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's probably just the worst of the MCU films so far, as far as it, it was kind of boring and forgettable as a film. I mean, we haven't really talked about it, but you know, and the rest of the films, the ones that were kind of good and watchable, we get like, Oh, honey. Or my, my mom's, you know, from America Chavez or, you know, we get blink and you'll miss it. 
representation in kind of all of the the other ones. And I wanted Eternals to be good, you know. It had the potential to be good, it just never reached it. But it was kind of I I I hate to say it, but I rolled my eyes in the theater when it was like, "Oh, another Disney gay." Like can we just get like a proper you know? Yeah. I get it. I just I just want like a like a hi, I'm a superhero and this is my you know, same-gendered partner and we're really 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 gay for each other going on with the movie now. Like <laughs> don't I don't know. Because, I mean, if it's already not going to play in China anyway for the .4 seconds, you might as well just make it the movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, if if there, if there, if if that's, if that little bit, if that little bit is going to be the problem, just go for it, you know? You, we've already had actors in the MCU say that they want their characters to have major love stories you know mm-hmm. like queer love stories so if the actors are already pulling for it and that one little bit is going to ruin your your ability to play in some countries anyway just go ahead and do the thing the actors and a lot of the fans want anyway the thing that i want to talk about next is the Really cool uh, glow up of Mbaku. Because we haven't gotten to talk about him yet. And his character has progressed so much from when we saw him uh, in the uh, the last film. He shows more of his intelligence in this movie. And he showed a little bit of it in in the previous movie. But they kind of played him off like he's more of a brute. But they show him he's, he's that... He's not a genius genius, but he's he's educated. He's you know, he even says, you know, he's the one that brings up the fact that the Tal uh Talokans have the serpent god. He uh, he recognizes the name of the serpent god. He recognizes it because he's read it in a book. He even says, you know, just because we live in the mountain doesn't mean we don't have books. And he's the one that tells him they believe him to be a god. And if we kill him, we risk eternal war with these people. Yeah, the thing that I don't think that people understood about him in the first movie was that he is not the technical genius. He's the tactical genius. And you see it in the first movie. He's the one that knows exactly when to show up on the battlefield. He knows how to cow his opponents. He knows the moment to strike. He knows that you see it in the fight with him and T'Challa when he's challenging for the throne. You see that he understands uh, when T'Challa says, you know, don't make me kill you because your people need a leader. He understands that this is someone who he can raise the um, Jabari tribe's ability to be 
seen as equals in Wakanda. He mentions in the first movie that T'Challa is the first king to have shown up for the Jabari tribe in generations. And T'Challa's like, look, I can't talk about the other kings, but I'm here, you know? To the, to the point where he now has a seat at the table. Yeah, he's one of the council of maybe not elders, but, you know, he's the one other of the people leader. that is listened to by Queen Ramonda. He is there when when Shuri needs counsel, you know, she's there and he even asked Shuri for her counsel um after the death of Ramonda. Um they talk about strategy when Namor is going to attack. They talk about how best to move Wakanda forward and everything. And when Shori throws his words from the first film back at him, when he called her a child who mocked tradition, he reminds her that, you know, yeah, all this technology is good, but sometimes there's tradition for a reason. You know, you can't just throw it all away just because it's old. And he ends up being right in that. That there are values in the old ways as well. Just as she is correct that there are values in looking forward in new technology and stuff. You know, you can blend those two. And M'Baku becomes the voice of reason when Shuri is consumed by vengeance. You know, yes, she becomes the new Black Panther, but she watched her mother die. And she wants to kill Namor for it. And it's M'Baku that's saying, this, is this really what you want to do? Is this what your mother would have wanted? Is this what your brother would have wanted? Yeah, and I do think that it is very important that Killmonger is the person that she sees from the ancestral plane. And I know that a lot of people are like, well, it's because, you know, you can't have Chadwick Boseman back. But the thing is, is that they don't call out when they do the, the ceremony to create the panther they don't call out to just any dead ancestor. They, they call, call to out all, to, to the, the parent. Ends. No, because when when you see T'Challa undergo it, they call out to his father. When you see Killmonger undergo it, they call out to his father. When they see, you see Shuri undergo it, they call out to her mother. And Angela Bassett's already in this movie. She could have just walked in and be like, remember, my daughter, do some stuff and some things. I'm out. And, and that comes later. But yeah. I think it's also you talk to the person that you need to talk to. Yeah. Like he goes in there. I'm, he even says, I was supposed to see my mother here, not you. Yeah, oh. but I but I think it's it's super important that she does see Killmonger. I mean, you know, yeah, it's a cool cameo and everything, but narratively speaking she is dealing with a situation that 
is a parallel situation to what Killmonger brought in the first film. They're dealing with the fallout of that whole thing. This also brings up the Killmonger was right movement that came out after the first movie did. You know, uh, Killmonger calls her out. You didn't even believe this place existed. You didn't think this was all real, just like I didn't. But here we are. We're more alike than you think you than you think we are. And then calls out the hypocrisy of her father. You know, if your father was still alive, he would have killed that girl. He killed his own brother. Your mother died saving that girl's life. And your brother was too is was too noble to even make the choice. What choice are you going to make? And the thing the thing is is that there's there's a line in the in the first movie that they're talk they talk about T'Challa being like a really good man and the problem that good men rarely make great kings because of the choices that kings have to make. Sometimes you have to make the the hard choices and sometimes you have to make any leader, whatever leader you, you, you want to think of, at some point is going to have to compromise themselves because that's the decision that has to be made. And to, as, as it said, T'Challa was too noble to make that choice. Once again, along with the kind of Killmonger was right movement, is that Namor isn't exactly wrong either. And that's the thing that I love about Marvel, and we've talked about it before when we've dealt with the MCU, is that the best Marvel villains aren't generally wrong about their assessment of the situation. You know? They're wrong. They're, the wrongness comes from the methods they use in reaction to that. With Killmonger... You know, his people were enslaved and there are still people enslaved that to this day that he was going to go help free. His just his solution was straight violence. Well, it it was that, you know, I mean, and we haven't been able to talk about the first movie um, before now. So this is kind of the first time we've we've talked about this. But, you know, Killmonger's problem was. Not that he called Wakanda out on their isolationist policies and their refusal to help others throughout the years, you know, who had been marginalized and enslaved and such, was that his next step was that, and then we will become the colonizers and we will become the enslavers. Because we will do it the right way. His problem was thinking there's a right way to do that force. Instead of just being like, we will use this technology and, you know, advantage that we have in mutual aid for marginalized people or for freeing people or what have you. He then took it the next step of and then we will become the rulers. That was that was his problem. The, Likewise, the Namor, thing, yeah. Na- Namor 
you know, he just wants his people to be peaceful. You know, he wants his he wants his protection of his people, but also he wants to take over the land, the surface dwellers. He wants to rule over the surface dwellers like like we said before, like the colonizers drove his people away from their land. He wants to go and become the dominators over the surface dwellers. Yeah, and the thing, the one thing in the film that I I think maybe was not entirely clear to me watching it um, was that I never really got the idea of if he wanted to rule so much or if he wanted to exterminate. Either or, I think he's okay with either or. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that it, it might it might be okay, um, but you do understand where he's coming from, and I think that's where the best Marvel villains come from. Is that when when they set out like what their issue is, and you're like, yeah, I can see that. I I can you know the thing about it is is that he was the the one where he was like well you know my mother lived on the surface and to escape all of the problems on the surface she begrudgingly accepted a life under the water but she always wanted to go back to the surface so when I went back to the surface I got up there and then I found, like, a whole bunch of people enslaving, you know, the people that were left on the surface. And that made me angry. And, you know, now I'm mad at Wakanda for revealing Vibranium because the Vibranium was what was keeping his people safe as well. The problem being that he he understands much like the wakandans do the the danger there we see at the beginning of the movie when ramonda basically says like we're not giving you vibranium because we we know exactly what you'll do with it the wakandans accidentally put this entire civilization in danger by revealing vibranium to thanks the to Chala. well it's it's one of those things of they they didn't know because they had never thought to look for vibranium outside of their own borders mm-hmm. so it was their their hubris yeah the the other thing is is that i i don't know why like it's another one of those things of i don't know why the the Starks and, and such never thought to look for vibranium anywhere else because, you know, they're smart and they're, you know. Uh, the, the other thing is, is that I really fully expected uh, Riri's teacher to be revealed as some kind of evil agent. Or maybe not evil agent, but like maybe just like a CIA person plant. 
you I know? mean, that's kind of how it happened. We just we just talked about a movie where the government stole Bruce Willis's plans from for Armageddon. It's just possible that's what happened here. Is like they she made it. She even said herself she made a device just to see if she could to detect vibranium. And but then, she said that she only did it because her her teacher kind of bet her that she couldn't. I mean, it's we have a TV show. It it, it could be revealed yeah. in that. But I I kind of just expected them to be, be like in one of the CIA scenes that they've been like, well, we goaded that kid into you know whatever we kind of owe her or whatever, and that be like one of Ross's things. Being like, wait, we, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, we, the the teacher is like one of our, you know, agents or whatever, because we're always hunting for like new recruits or something, you know. So it, it just, I, I was kind of surprised that never, that, that never came up because that's, I, I, I would have found it funny because um, that line just seemed a little too weird. It's possible something got cut again. I wouldn't yeah. doubt it. Because, again, this is already a three-hour movie. It's probably another dozen scenes that will probably end up on the Blu-ray that expands all this. Yeah. One of my favorite things is the visuals of the Talokans. Above ground, they have the blue skin. But as soon as they go underground, their skin turns back to normal color. And it probably is just that the hypoxia, that they're not getting enough oxygen. Possible says someone who has a condition that sometimes causes my skin to do that. Um, so uh, it's really uh, fascinating their little uh, masks and everything that they have. Uh, I, I liked the design of that. I liked all the designs on them. Uh, the one thing that I found funny with them was that I kept mishearing and it's just been it's Namor was never really my thing in the comics so I only really ran across him when he showed up like in X-Men stuff or whatever you know so I kept mishearing the one guy as a tuna and I was like, well, that makes sense, because he's like a fish guy underwater, and it's a Tuma with an M. Um, but <laughs> so I am surprised that they, design-wise, they kept the the Speedos. Well, they, they made them shorts, but, you know, because they did do a redesign of Namor in the comics where he has a full body suit. That That was the Aquaman look that they went with? Mm. That he's got the the long pants kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm glad that they went for the more traditional Namor kind of look. The thing I'm surprised they kept was the a- ankle wings and the pointy ears. I mean, even in comics and other cartoons, the wings never flapped. So that's something new for this movie. Like, I love it when... Comic movies just embrace how absolutely bonker doodles comics are. <laughs> like, please, 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 if anyone involved in ever making a comic book movie ever listens to this podcast, I beg you, please just go for the absolutely insane parts of comics. 
because that's what we love about comics. You know, when you try to be like, no, it should be more like the real world. It's oh my goodness, no, it should not. That's why we like comics. It's because comics are not the real world, and absolutely weird stuff happens in them, like Howard the Duck. You know, yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> like I love just <laughs> that's my favorite part of that that what if uh episode uh with Thor being an only child is that Darcy just wanders up and she's like hey what's up there's like a blonde haired Norse god oh look that's a duck maybe I should marry it like <laughs> And I'm like, yes, this is what Marvel Comics are like. This is exactly the vibe of Marvel Comics. This, but a live action movie, please. That's what I want. That's what I'm going to the theater for. So, yeah. So when he, like, rises out of the water at the first part, you know, when he's, like, in Wakanda and he rises out of the water and Shuri and her mom are like, are those wings on his ankles? And they're like, yeah. And they're like okay, we're just going to roll with that. And I'm like, yes, yes, roll with the absolute, absolute insanity of there's a dude in front of me and he's got wings on his ankles and we're not even going to question that. Thank and they you. Slap. And the they slap. And they like, make little ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous Foley flipping, flip, 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 flip. And nobody's even like, I'm just going to take a second and laugh at you like no no we're not doing that we're just gonna be like yes i am a regal queen of an african nation and you are a dude with swippy swippy little flappy doodle (laughs) wearing speedos just flying out of my lake next to elephants and we are not gonna question this at all yes that is the spirit of marvel comics and i want bring that energy to every movie yes Please, please, lo- thank you, I Ryan Coogler. I love the payoff is Shuri plucking him like a chicken. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that fight at the end when she just, like, brings down the spear and, like, slices off part of that wing and just holds it up, and she's like, yep, and you kind of just want to expect her to just start pluck- plucking feathers off of it. I'm glad they didn't go that far, but in my brain, I was just like, if I was writing this, I have no shame and the worst taste in the world. So, you know, there'd be a scene where she just starts taunting him by plucking feathers off of that crap. Why aren't you flying, Namor? What happened to your wings? Oh, they're right here. Because you know if my ass had been on the ancestral plane promising Killmonger he was going to beg me for mercy, you know I'd be taunting that dude with his own ankle wing, you know? But, like, I I love it. I love it when things embrace that absurdity. The ridiculousness of comic books. Yes, yes, because that's why I love comic books. And so all of this, like... We have to be dark and gritty and realistic about things because that's what the real world is like. It is dark and gritty and soulless. I'm like, no, no, I want talking ducks and dudes with wings on their ankles and just uh, men who get bit by spiders and fly around in their underwear and say weird, witty things before they punch people. That's why I read comic books. 
thank you. Ugh. So yeah, I I loved that energy and I loved I I loved every little every little quip. I loved how witty Riri is. The 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 line that got my theater laughing is you know throughout this whole thing you know Okoye is very self conscious about her looks of the the outfit she's wearing the nail she's wearing because she wants to look good and then but she does or she does and then Riri turns around and said what are you do what are you doing here with that ashy ass head <laughs> yeah yeah no no it's like <laughs> that's just whole theater laughing at that moment. Again, again, I understand this is a serious movie with where morning Chad McBell's in, but that scene was made to make you laugh. Well, the thing is, is that we had our, we had our morning. That's the funeral at the beginning. And yeah. then, and then we need to have a Black Panther movie. Although I, 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 give, them cre- I give them credit for not having the Marvel fanfare over the Marvel logo. Well, interestingly, because I also watched the first movie, if you watch the movie, at least at at the time we're recording this, if you watch the movie on Disney Plus, where they've just put up kind of a new, you know, uh, redone version of it, they have replaced the uh, Marvel logo that was put in the original Black Panther when it came out in theaters with that purple Chadwick Boseman Memorial logo that you see. Yeah, that was that that was done not long after his passing. So yeah, it's, ha- it's been it's been there for a bit. However, the the Marvel fanfare still does play. Yes. Um so it's the visual is that same one that is in the the Wakanda Forever, but the the Marvel fanfare does play. Um, but because they're doing, they've done the serious death scene and then the scene right after is the funeral scene. Um, it is a silent tribute. Yeah. Can you imagine if they, they go through the entire funeral scene in the morning and (laughs) it just wouldn't work. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't put that. That, that that Rihanna song over the Marvel logo and instead of saving it for the end of the movie. It's a good song, but, you know. Or that, or that version of No Woman, No Cry that they used in the, um, in the, the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. That version but, of No Woman, No Cry is real good. Yeah. But the thing about this movie is, Namor still won. He did. He did. He lost sort the of battle. get what he what he wanted. He lost the battle, and his people kind of, especially Namora, calls him out like, "Why would you give up to her? Why would you yield to her? I never thought you would yield to anyone." And she says, "It's all part of the plan." Wakanda has no allies now because of what we did, and everyone's going to go after them because of their vibranium. So they'll have to ally with us, and when the time is right. We will use this allyship to take over the surface world. So he's not exactly a full good guy at the end. He's still villainous. He still has that that desire to take over the surface world. Well, he's not even entirely villainous. I mean, the thing the thing about he just wants to protect his people. I get it. 
Yeah, the thing about Namor in in Marvel versus Aquaman in DC is that most of the DC portrayals of Aquaman, at least in the popular culture, I'm not saying that there haven't been DC storylines that took Aquaman darker. Um, But the popular portrayal of Aquaman prior to the, the Momoa movie, it was Smokey the Bear, but for the oceans. You know, it was like... Hey kids, remember the oceans are also a place that deserve, you know, your protection. And don't litter in the ocean. Remember, fish live there. And you know, it's like he was very much like Superman, but for fish. And it yeah. was it was very much like truth, justice, and the ocean way. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Namor was like, you littered in my ocean prepare to die you know like he would he was that guy and that was the direction they took um they took aquaman like in the injustice games he's pretty much namor i will protect atlantis against and no one else in the films it did kind of gave aquaman the 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 jerk ass nature of namor while still having him be a noble hero yeah so this this portrayal of Namor, I thought, felt relatively, you know, what you kind of expected in the comics. You never quite knew whose side he was going to be on when he showed up. Because it could be like, hey, I'm going to fight next to the X-Men because I understand what it's like to be an outcast and all and also i'm a mutant or it could be i'm going to show up and fight the x-men because maybe you know something they were doing led to adamantium getting into the ocean and now it's you know polluting something and i'm angry i will fight alongside the fantastic four or i'm going to fight against the fantastic four because i want to bang suit storm (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like you never quite knew who he was, you know, which way his allegiance was going to fall when he showed up because he was very much um, changeable in the fact of he was very much about protecting his own people and he was very much chaotic neutral in how he did that. <laughs> Which makes me wonder, we still have this Fantastic Four movie coming out. Maybe Namor will show up in that. Who knows? And, I mean, it's, you know, they they have started using the word mutant a lot more freely. Um, We got we got it in the uh, the Ms. Marvel series. And we got it here again. So you feel like something's coming eventually. Um, yeah, eventually. We still have a, a Deadpool movie to get through before we get to that. <laughs> I mean, which I'm fine with. Uh, but we've also got this young young T'Challa here. If we ever get... By the time uh, we get to Phase 10, he'll be old enough. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, by the, by the time we finally get mutants in the MCU, he might be old enough that we get a, T'ch- a T'Challa and Storm. Yeah. So, who who knows? <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I I I like I like the way they they balanced the final fight between Namor and Shuri once she's got her Black Panther powers because uh, I I do like I do like them figuring out like well he synthesizes the water from the air and that's what gives him powers so we have to dry him out. And then they're like, what do we do? It's like, well, let's just put him in a giant easy bake oven and <laughs> cure him. Like, I don't... Let's barbecue his fish. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, don't know. It's like kind of kind of like a giant hair dryer. Um, as as someone who as someone who has a hairstyle right now that involves me baking under one of those like <laughs> one of those hair helmets for a while. That's what it reminded me of. <laughs> um, and it's just but, how cold Shuri is during that whole point. Would you like a glass of water? Yeah, and then she gets she gets him into the desert, but not far enough into the desert that they're not on the edge of the of the ocean. Um, and we finally see, you know, the the end of her answer to Killmonger is that she's she's going to to make him beg for mercy before she kills him. Uh, and then is when she sees the images of her mother. Yeah, well, not before she truly becomes more like her brother in the fact that she gets speared through the gut. Because I had forgotten how often that happens to T'Challa in the first movie. Like, that poor boy kept taking spears to the gut over and over and over in that first movie. <laughs> but here here we go. It's Shuri's time now to take a spear to the gut and just being like, well, you're a Black Panther now. You got to shake that off. <laughs> but... Uh, but her mother is there to remind her, like, you know, hey, that's that's not how we do things. Come on. It turns out, though, that much like M'Baku was trying to get a, across to her, is that you have to mix those two things. And it's M'Baku being the, the tactical genius there that I think we're not really getting that it's it's his wisdom I think that that sinks into her even though the movie does not go like eh, remember his words she does kind of do what she promised to Killmonger but she also remembers her mother's words you know mm -hmm. she has him at her mercy she could kill him but the alliance is the more tactical thing. If she kills him, M'Baku's right. She will create a, a martyr and the war will continue. But if she gets him to yield and shows him mercy, then she gets an alliance for Wakanda. And I think that Namor's only half right when he says, like, well, you know, we're their only ally and stuff. I mean, I think... Where are the Avengers in all of this? Yeah, that's the one thing that feels so off, is that there is no presence from 
anyone. You're telling me they couldn't get anyone. You you're telling me that they couldn't pick up the phone and call Sam. Say, hey, we gave you your new wings. You owe us. Yeah, I mean, Bucky's used to being the only white guy at the barbecue. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on, man. Like, I mean, I get, I get it that I get that if you that you want this this visually that you want the the idea of this is a moment of grief for the black community. Um, and that there are not that many Black Avengers, but there are some. Yeah, I mean, so if you wanted, if you wanted to restrict it simply to maybe Black actors, you could have at least shown that there was some presence from the Avengers, and shown them, and maybe name dropped some others or something, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, Sam, I understand not wanting Rhodey because you already have Riri. Yeah. Um, but yes, but having, you know, Captain America there to be the, the presence and stuff, uh, Mm. might, might have been a thing. Um, or say that like, even, even having a line of like, so many people said they wanted to be here, but we told them that state funerals were traditionally only Wakandan things because, this is the first time a king has died in an open Wakanda. Yeah. Why? You know? why, why? Why wasn't the Why didn't the Avengers attend his funeral? Yeah, and and at least that would have made sense because yes, traditionally, no one would have been invited. You wouldn't have invited other state heads in a closed nation. I mean, when T'Chaka died. They wouldn't have invited other state heads because T'Chaka, you know, was the last king that died when, when Wakanda was closed. You wouldn't yeah. have invited anybody to Wakanda. But if there were, if it was a thing of like, you know, hey, the king of Wakanda has died, that's typically, you know, a state funeral event for the rest of the world. I get why it would be different in Wakanda. But also, you know, the Avengers would have been asked asking to come. You know, there there would have been at least inquiries made. You know, we hear your king has died. Can we send an ambassador? Can we send a something? Can our president attend? Can we? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we just saw the state funeral of a monarch in the yeah. real world. That's what typically happens when a head of state of a nation dies. Um, and so we, it, it does seem weird in the MCU and they could have gotten it around by just having a simple line in there. But I've seen a lot of stuff online of people saying like, where were anybody outside of Wakanda in this, funeral scene why weren't there like cameos of other you know if you're going to have a this is our tribute to both the character of T'Challa and also Chadwick Boseman why did you not get other 
actors in the, in or at the least, franchise. You know, those who were who knew him or who were close to him or something. I don't know. And yeah. I, on one hand, I can get it. I, I get it that, again, COVID restrictions. I mean, Wakanda's got, like, heavy technology holograms or a we, thing. We saw that in Endgame. Yeah, we you saw could, that in Endgame. They were communicating could, via holograms. Yeah, you could show that there are, like, holograms of the Avengers watching or something being, you know, beamed in from wherever. Uh, and stuff. I mean, you know, there are ways to do it. Um, I'm just saying there are, there are other ways to, to do but things. But I think but I think it's another thing of if you don't have them at the beginning, there's no question why they're not there at the end. Well, it'll, it'll, if if Sam or Rhodey were at T'Challa's funeral, why didn't they show up for the final battle? Well, yeah, I mean, that is a year later. They're mm-hmm. off doing different things. Mm-hmm. We have that title card of one year later, and then we have the the thing of like it's been a year since your brother's passed. I mean, a lot can happen in a year. They're they're off doing their own thing, you know. Fine. I don't need to. I'm I don't have the question of why weren't they there for the final battle, because we're keeping all the the stuff about uh Namor and his people on the down low. They attacked uh in secret and everything that's fine i don't i don't need that what i'm saying is that like this is the death of their friend and partner who they fought beside and stuff some of them would want to be there yeah um and would ask to be there narratively it makes sense to have some of them there just like at the end of Endgame, when you have, you know, everybody gathered for Tony or, you know, whatever, at least just give me a line of, they asked to be there, but we told them Wakanda funerals are, you know, we, we were closing Wakanda for traditional reasons or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's all I needed. And then I'm like, okay, real world reasons, COVID, you couldn't afford them in the budget. You could whatever. They were all busy making other movies. Real world reasons, fine. Okay, it's the it's the same it's the same reason you know Daniel Kaluuya's character is still locked up in prison somewhere and we never see him. He's off making nope. Okay, fine. But <laughs> but but real world reasons I get. We have one line in the movie that's like, yeah, he's still in prison somewhere. Okay, narratively, you've written that off, Lampshade. It's fine. Just do that for why aren't the Avengers at T'Challa's funeral? I'm good with it, okay? (laughs) That's all I need. Just give me one line. One line. Why aren't the Avengers at T'Challa's funeral? Please. Just, Just as a fan. And then, you know, real world reasons. We're okay with it. The final thing on the ship. Can we just talk about the final battle on the ship? Because I really liked that as well. Go ahead. Um, I I liked the the way that all of the uh the different things moved together. I like how they did all that. I question taking 
the battle to the enemy. Like, the enemy is like, hey, we're going to come back in a week. Uh, be ready. I would have been like, all right, come fight on my turf. I'm not sure I would have been like, hey, we're going to get on a really ugly boat and go to your turf. Uh, I mean, it, it, is, it does give a different scene to your usual final battle. So maybe. I mean, maybe they were trying to go for visual difference or whatever. Or, hey, we've got a small ship, so now we can have a smaller cast or, or whatever for the final battle. Maybe. But I'm just saying, tactically, I thought it was a bit weird. From from an internal movie narrative standpoint, it's like, oh, okay, they're they're weaker on land. They have to use special breathing apparatus, and we have the home field advantage if they come to us. Now, granted, we've seen how powerful they can be in attacking Wakanda, okay? But they've already kind of messed up your main city, and you've evacuated your people to a different area. Yeah, fortify and make them come to you. I don't. I I know that they were trying to go for, like, hey, surprise attack, and we're going to capture Namor and, you know, do the hairdryer method and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I just also want to shout out the guy who played Namor because he learned to swim for this role. He apparently did not know how to swim before, (laughs) before taking this movie. And I'm like, wow, you're playing, like, an ocean god? And you do not know how to swim and you get cast for this role and you're like, oh, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time in the water. Guess I better learn how to swim. I mean, that's awesome. Go, dude. Yeah, yeah. And he did such a good job in this movie. Like, that's that's and a big I mean, he didn't, even really, he didn't really have to. They could have got a stunt guy and most of it will probably be done with wire work and green screen anyway. Well, yeah, but I mean... One, I, I think that everybody should learn to swim, even if you don't think you're going to need it. It's just a good life and safety skill to have. So, you know, p- please learn to swim. But uh, also, yeah, I mean, even if you're like on on wires, it's like if you're just going to be around water, it's a good safety skill to have. So good, good for him. Uh, it's like. And plus the idea of guy playing the leader of fish people can't swim. Doesn't sound, doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I liked the movie. I thought it was a little long that it, longer than it needed to be. There's probably a, this at least half hour to an hour could have been cut, but I understand why this, there, the, the, this, the, this movie had to essentially tell two movies in one. Plus, cause, cause, cause you had to do, you had to, you know, uh, set up the the passing of T'Challa, the the new Black Panther, and tell Namor's story. So I get it, but it it it, it it's a long. It's I don't think it needed to be as long as it is. Yeah. Um. And and like I said, I think a lot of the stuff that could have been cut was really just the CIA plot. As much as I like watching Martin Freeman and Julia Louis Dreyfus. They have amazing chemistry in this movie. Yeah, and and I mean, I was 
it was like, okay, you know, all right. Did you not. Can bu- you can buy these two as a couple. Least- yeah, and I mean, I I'm looking forward to more of um Val, you know, showing up because I know where that's going, you know, because of the comics and stuff. I mean, you know, you you know where they're probably taking that, and hopefully because of the the ties that they set up between them, that means that you know Martin Freeman's characters coming back a lot more too because of the stuff with that and um you know i i don't know thunderbolts or secret invasion or or whatever that he might show up in but yeah i mean there's there's a lot of places he could turn up uh so hopefully you know we'll we'll see uh him more as well but it's just I'm not sure how how much we really needed them in this movie, especially since this movie doesn't look like it's going to tie into a lot. Like, I really expected another post credit sequence. Like, yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. We got here's the T'Challa's one. son, and you're like, okay, that's cool. And then I stayed around because I was like, okay, now we're going to tie it into the next phase or whatever or some other movie or, like, where's Kang going to pop up maybe or, you know, something. Or at and, least, you know, I would have, I was expecting, you know, the, the post credit scene to be Riri going back to MIT and then starting on the Ironheart suit Mark III for the TV show. Yeah, something with Riri or something to set up, you know, the next phase with, you know, Kang. Like, how's Wakanda going to fit into that? Or, or Secret Invasion. Or Secret Invasion. You know, maybe you get some Samuel L. Jackson popping up and being like, hey, remember me? I'm going to be back and doing some cool stuff, you know. Or we like, find out one of the Wakandans is a scroll. Yeah, I mean, that'd be, that'd be cool, you know. Um come on you know something but apparently this this is not tying in except for maybe the cia people and i think that's why that was in they needed something to tie into the rest so they added that in and so yeah um i think that's all we got to say about black panther wakanda forever uh thank you for listening to this bonus episode and uh our next episode will be the day after tomorrow as in the movie, The Day After Tomorrow, as we continue Disaster Month. Yay! So uh, come back for that, and uh, we'll talk to you all next time. Bye! Bye! If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com.
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.